Al Jazeera podcast. The Bongo family is the biggest name in Gabon. They've run the Central African country for almost 56 years. The Bongo family has done very, very well up to now. They've done a stellar job of asserting their control over the various state institutions. The Bongo family was able to assert and consolidate um, their control even within the opposition. Ali Bongo had been president of Gabon since 2009. His father was president before that. And in this week's election, all that was set to continue. On Wednesday, it was announced that Ali Bongo was to be re-elected for a third term. Then, everything changed. I'm Ali Bongo, Ondimba, president of Gabon. And I'm to send a message to all the friends that we have all over the world to tell them to make noise, to make noise. For the people here have arrested me and my family. Breaking news in Gabon, where a group of military officers claim they have seized power in the Central African country. Gunfire has been reported in the capital, Libreville. Members of Gabon's military announced their takeover on state television. And the leader of Gabon's elite Republican Guard, which is charged with ensuring the president's safety, is now leading the country's transition. The coup leaders also announced the arrests of people close to the president and detailed their alleged crimes. This is far from the first coup in the region. We're talking about the litany of these coups in Africa, one after the other. All of them former colonies of France. Gabon, though, might be in a category of its own. The thing about this coup is that it's very different from what has prevailed in, say, Mali, Burkina Faso, and Niger. So why Gabon is different, and what this latest coup means for the region, France, and the people of Gabon. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. I'm Bulen Sege Leonard. It's a pleasure um, being on the podcast. Pleasure is all ours. Leonard knows Gabon pretty well. Gabon is my next door neighbor. I'm originally from Cameroon. He spent time there over the years, and now he studies, writes, and teaches about it in South Africa, where he's a doctoral researcher at the University of Cape Town. I'm doing a comparative analysis of democratization in Francophone West African countries. After watching a series of coups beset his home region, his work is gaining a whole new relevance. Now it's like, okay, it actually makes sense. So we asked him to help us make sense of what happened this week, starting with the election result. Leonard was casually glancing at his WhatsApp messages on Wednesday when he saw one from a friend who also works in the region. And it was quite interesting because the night before, he had spoken about why is it that in such a small country like Gabon, the results of the elections hadn't come out. Well, the firm that I work with, I do daily reporting on different events from across West Africa. And I wake up at 5 a.m. and I'm doing my news rounds. It was just before 6 a.m. when Gabon woke up to this. 
Today, the 30th of August, 2023, in the name of the Gabonese people, we, the Committee of the Transition and the Restoration of Institutions, have decided to defend the peace, putting an end to the regime in place. I got very interested because my mom was actually supposed to travel to Gabon. Leonard comes from a family of diplomats. So the first thing that comes to my mind is, let me call my mom and actually find out if she knows about all of this. And she's like, we're not aware. Which is very interesting because they always listen to BBC, RFE, on all the other international broadcasters, right? As it turns out, there was a reason they weren't getting news out of Gabon. The internet was cut off. Some of the major foreign media, which usually have a very established footing in Gabon, were also not allowed to cover the elections and also foreign observers weren't on the ground. Rights organizations condemned the ban on foreign media and international observers. There were claims of rigging, um, that they, were, they weren't free and fair. This journalist who's following events from neighboring Cameroon says the situation in Gabon is chaotic. We've rarely seen this level of disorder during elections. People from the opposition on the ground speaking to the belief that the um, opposition candidate, uh, Abe Ondo, had emerged victorious. And in a country of one-family rule, it was a surprising turn of events. Compared to what has been going on in the other parts of Africa, the Gabonese election didn't make much news because it was seemed like it was a more or less fair accompli for Bongo to pursue a third term, looking at the history of the evolution of the you know, Bongo dynasty. They've ruled almost unrivaled. So I asked Leonard about now-deposed President Ali Bongo and what might have led to this coup. It's a colorful history. So um, Ali Bongo's other claim to fame, apart from being president of Gabon, was a music career. In the late 70s, he released a funk album, A Brand New Man. Had you heard the album? Did you know about this? His mom was a popular musician too. Well, is she still is? <laughs> it was always funny because um, you know when he started coming to the forefront because in Central Africa we're aware of him. He used to visit Cameroon and then he had a slick back hairstyle. I think they called the Jerry Curl. <laughs> and my parents used to always make fun of that. He had to abandon that and you know get serious. His dad made him an MP. Then he got the Ministry of Defense and so on and so forth. After his father's death in 2009, Ali Bongo then the defense minister, took his position as president. In 2016, he won his second presidential election. But in 2018, he had a serious setback. Ali Bongo had a stroke. Gabonese president Ali Bongo is back home after months of rehabilitation in Morocco following a stroke he suffered while in Saudi Arabia. You might not be aware, but it was seen that Bongo was preparing his son, his eldest son, Nuruddin, he brought him in after he had suffered his stroke. It was basically his father's eyes on the ground. Many saw this as President Ali Bongo preparing the way for the third generation of you know, the Bongo family succession. Mind you, there had been a lot of power wrangling in the months leading because he had been out of the country and he had been incapacitated in terms of carrying up presidential affairs because he had had the stroke. So you know, during the October to June period, he had only made very few public appearances and they were very rare. 
And that power wrangling culminated in the coup. The result left the head of the presidential guard, also reportedly a Bongo family relation, in charge through this transition. But Leonard said he didn't find that power struggle surprising. General Brice Ngema, he is an insider. If it was anybody who was going to take over, it was going to be that person. It was going to be that unit because you also look at the trend across the African countries. It's not the regular army that has been carrying out these coups. It's officers as well as soldiers who belong to these elite guards, which coincidentally were meant to thwart the potential uprising of the larger army. They're better trained, they're better resourced, better equipped, but those passes are being used now against the very people who helped them to get to that situation. What does this coup mean for the citizens of Gabon? Well, Gabon's a very interesting country. Not only is it the institutions, but then the rank of the people who are at the forefront of it. You've probably seen videos, you've seen footage, and there are people who are celebrating, they're jubilating. Uncontained joy on the streets of the Gabonese capital after the army seized power, a coup to bring an end to more than half a century under the rule of the Bongo family. We are happy. We want change in this country. We don't want to be bullied anymore. We don't want to be enslaved. Even though at this stage it's not a fait accompli, you know, you can't run a regime for that long or over 60 years of having some sort of, you know, popular support. But what's interesting is that um, Gabon, it's a very small country, very resource-rich. It has crude oil and petroleum and manganese. For those not in the know, what is manganese? Manganese is definitely used for the aviation industry because France gets a lot of it and they have Airbuses on the So it's a French company which basically has a monopoly of it. But now they're the biggest producer of that particular mineral, manganese. So France, the former colonizer, has a company that gets the most of of what they need for this company from their former colony. Of course. France has been Gabon's, historically, it's been Gabon's most steadfast source of international support. In fact, when you look at France's former colonies, you know that France has a very deep-seated relationship with its former colonies. When you think about in the Central African region, Gabon is the focal point of that support. There's even a military base there. After the break, what this coup means for Francophone Africa. I'm Charles Dance, your narrator for Hindsight, a dramatized podcast from Al Jazeera. In this season, we hear from some of history's most notable women. An unconventional and extraordinary artist. Me? I am Frida Kahlo. A communist revolutionary. Everyone in China knew my face. You've heard of them. Now it's time you hear from them. Hindsight. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. The coup in Gabon is not the first in a former French colony, even this year. There have been at least five coups in former French colonies in the region since 2020. Mali's government was the first to fall three years ago. In 2022, a military junta overthrew Burkina Faso's government. Chad's government said its security forces had thwarted an attempt by a group of army officers to overthrow the country's rulers. So why are they so troubled? 
We turn to Nabila Ramdani to answer that question. I'm a French journalist of Algerian descent. I was born and grew up in France, and I've been covering uh, French politics for over a decade now, including uh, French uh, uh, foreign policy in former uh, colonies uh, across North Africa and indeed Africa, but also the Middle East. Nabila says that what's taken place in Gabon is part of a larger trend, and it all comes back to what's known as Franc Afrique, the French sphere of influence. You've probably heard it many times. France Afrique. France Afrique. France Afrique. But is France Afrique really over? What we're witnessing is effectively the final undoing, as it were, of the entire France Afrique project as far as French influence in sub-Saharan Africa and former African colonies is concerned. Many Africans are rejecting France Afrique. And they're rejecting it as forcefully as their forebears came to reject the official French empire. And in this sense, uh, France's traditional dominance over the African continent, over sub-Saharan Africans, is disintegrating and indeed uh, crumbling. And this is despite former colonies receiving substantial uh, development uh, assistance aid huge uh, swathe of the African continent uh, now appears to be on the verge of, of combat. And it is no surprise to find France back at the center of the maelstrom. So this is the backdrop. And Leonard says a coup in Gabon could be an even bigger deal for France's waning power in the region. What's interesting is that the countries where coups took place Chad, Mali, Niger, Guinea, and Burkina Faso, those were somewhat peripheral nations with respect to the France-Africa sphere of influence, right? The core countries have historically been Senegal, Côte d'Ivoire, Cameroon, and Gabon, and to a lesser extent, Togo. The interpersonal relationship between, you know, Gabonese political elites and the French political elites, be it within the opposition or within the ruling circles, it's very, very intimate. That in itself is one of the reasons which helped them to stay in power, and which was also something which was a grievance by the population, because now they realize that no matter what, no matter how you know corrupt, no matter what they do, the Bongo regime is always going to get the thumbs up from France. Gabon is classified as an upper-middle-income country as a result of a small population and because of the significant capital it generates from the resources that it possesses. But then, still, you have an unemployment rate of over 20%. You have um, a poverty rate, which is equivalent to 33%, right? But then you have all this opulence around you. What do you think happens next for the people of Gabon? Well, I think it's going to be reality check now because obviously there's been the euphoria of, okay, the Bongo family is out. Maybe there's a new beginning, but then now you've seen that it's an insider, you know, somebody who was part and parcel and a core actor in the system who has taken over. So what's next? You know, it's a, it's a, it's a feeling of maybe uncertainty. Are we actually going to see a true democratic system? Are we going to see an economic model put in place which doesn't only benefit the elite and, you know, is beneficial to the general population? Or are we going to see what's happened in other countries where, you know, the longstanding leader leaves and then the military just puts in place their person who protects their interests and 
you know, you get a situation where the more things have changed, the more things have remained the same, and then you get a longing for the old regime. So there's going to be mixed feelings. There's hope. Hope that, you know, maybe this is going to usher a period of prosperity and happiness and certain degree of freedoms that we never experienced prior. Or could this potentially be a scenario where we're going to be, you know, left asking, but, you know, are we ever going to be able to experience happiness like the way other countries do? And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters and David Enders, with Ashish Malhotra, Chloe K. Lee, Faranisa Campana, Khalid Sultan, Miranda Lynn, Sonia Bagat, Zaina Bezer, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.